Well, this is week two of bad advice. You ever received bad advice? Have you ever given bad advice? I can say yes to both, and I think in this series, the challenge for each and every one of us is how do we develop a greater level of discernment? How do we develop some handles that will empower us, maybe set us up uh, to navigate the life that we're living? Because life, it's complicated. Have you ever found that to be the case where it's just like, man, it's complicated and it just seems that as each day goes by, more and more layers of complexity get added to life. I mean, just think about the change we have seen in our world over the last 15 to 20 years. Like, I came up in the 90s. Anyone else, you're, you came up in the 90s? And I remember when AOL Instant Messenger came out. I mean, we thought we were changing the game. I mean, we would rush home from school, unplug the landline, plug it into the back of the computer, hear that really bizarre dial-up sound, and then from the comfort of our own homes, we would begin to message our friends. It was world-changing. I remember at one point, we were so advanced in our house, we got two landlines, one for the phone and one for the computer, and we had cordless phones. Like, my friends thought I was living at NASA. Like, we are so advanced. And little did we know we were only at the tip of the iceberg of what would become a tech boom. Where now sociologists say we now live in what is known as the age of acceleration. I mean, things are changing dramatically. The other day, I walked into the kitchen, and my three-year-old was scolding Alexa Alexa wasn't playing Baby Shark, and the two of them were having a full-out squabble. So I just let the girls figure it out, and I went to the other room, and I thought to myself, my toddler is fighting with my robot. <laughs> what kind of world do we now live in? I mean, the world is, is changing rapidly. And folks, if you don't develop some discernment and some wisdom, and if you don't become a student of God's word, I'm just telling you, you are gonna be tossed to and fro with the waves of this culture. And the goal is to really understand God's desire for our life. And I think a lot of times we are giving ourselves over to really unproductive and unvaluable logic. We subscribe and we often suggest to others really bad advice. Last week we talked about this idea that you have all the time in the world. And I tried to do my best to take a wrecking ball to that idea. No, you don't. Life is here today, gone tomorrow, but a vapor is what scripture says, and it's learning to manage our time well. And today I wanna, I wanna poke at this idea of something that we've all heard. Chances are you've said. In fact, I've said it. I found myself saying this to people, and then I, I would bump into things in scripture where I would realize that's bad advice. We live in a world that places a high premium on authenticity. And I think authenticity is important, but we have to be careful. And what we tell people is, hey, just speak from the heart. You ever heard someone say that? Hey, just speak from the heart. And what we're gonna find today is that's actually not very wise. If you just go through life projecting whatever is on your heart onto those around you, that's gonna come with some problems. It's not as good of advice as you would assume. Dr. Seuss, he told us this, be who you are and say 
what you feel. Because those who mind, well, they don't matter. And those who matter, they don't mind. Guys, that's bad advice. I'm gonna read it to you again. Someone say, run it back. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind, well, they don't even matter. And those who matter, they don't mind. You know what I've discovered? Those who matter only get madder. You just can't run around projecting on the folks whatever you feel and think at the moment. I mean, life is a conglomerate of all kinds of thoughts and feelings, and if you're not careful, you will extrapolate and reproduce production, uh, dysfunction around you. It's being really careful. It may not be wise to just go through life speaking from the heart. Someone who I think bumped into this was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. And my question for you is, have you ever discovered that your heart can play some tricks on you? Like your heart is a home to a lot of different things. Your heart, it, it houses peace and it houses joy. It houses grace and, and compassion. It houses some kindness. I mean, your heart, it houses a lot of things, but it also houses envy, bitterness, hatred, anger, insecurity, fear. And if you're not careful, well, your heart, it will play some tricks on you. You know who I think understood this well? Michael Bolton. <laughs> yeah, you did not see that coming, did you? I have officially established myself as an edgy communicator. When Michael Bolton is your cultural reference, you are as edgy as it gets. But Michael Bolton was the man. Show of hands if you are a Michael Bolton fan. Come on, church, I'll be the most honest place on the planet. I'm a Michael Bolton fan. Ain't no shame in my game. Homeboy has some pipes. One time he said, how can we be lovers if we can't be friends? Come on, church. How can we start over when the fighting never ends? You're a fan, I can tell. <laughs> Mike was the man. Don't sleep on Mike. But Mike also wrote a song, sat down and put lyrics to pad. Thinking of some lady he was clearly obsessed with, Michael said this, I said I loved you, but I lied because this is more than love I feel inside. I said I loved you, but I was wrong because love could never feel this strong. Michael is in this moment where he's caught up in his feels and he's like, I don't know if it's love or if it's a lie. Again, your heart, it can play some tricks on you. And it's just learning to manage well the faculties that God has given us. Jesus told us this in the book of Matthew. He said, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now check this out. You brood of vipers. I mean, Jesus just goes in on them. And the only time Jesus ever spoke like this was when he was talking to who? The Pharisees, the religious people, the category that most of us fit into. The people who should have known better, he would come alongside them and say, hey, you're misrepresenting God and his kingdom poorly. You brood of vipers. 
I thought about doing a series called Skinny Jeans. Talking about the uncomfortable statements of Jesus. That's pretty uncomfortable. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Check this out. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another way of saying it is if it's in your words, church, it's in your heart. If it is in your words, it's in your heart. And my question for you is what is in your words? I mean, have you taken time to assess your communication? Assess the things that you're just relaying to other people? The things that you're speaking into your identity, the things that you're speaking into your marriage, the things that you're speaking over the lives of your children, the things you're projecting about our nation and culture, the things that you say at your company. Have you taken time to assess your words? Because here's what I believe, and that is this. What we say says more about us than anyone or anything else. You know, I think it was Socrates who said, a great and strong mind, well, strong minds talk about ideas. An average mind talks about events. But a weak mind, it talks about people. And it's just learning, hey, what am I saying and how am I communicating? Because I believe this to be true. Speaking poorly about others only speaks poorly about yourself. And it's just learning, hey, what is in my words? Am I just always attacking, always projecting dysfunction, always caught up in slander or divisive conversations? Is there hate in my speech? Is there just a ton of cynicism and pessimism in my speech? What is in your words? And I think this year, you will find that if one of your goals is to grow in the area of communication, you'll get to the end of this year and find that your life improved drastically. Because I'm convinced life is better for those who learn to communicate. Life, it's better for those who learn to communicate. Not just people running through life, speaking and just projecting whatever's on their heart. No, life is better for those who learn to communicate. And the person who I think understood this well was Jesus' little brother, James. Jesus' little brother, James, was one of the leaders in the early church, and he gave his life to the cause of Christ. And I believe James is arguably the greatest proof in Scripture that Jesus is the Son of God. Because think about it. What would you have to do for one of your siblings to think, I think you're God? I mean, what would one of your siblings have to do for you to go to them in the living room and be like, you know what? I'm gonna give the rest of my life to worshiping you. (laughs) Over my dead body, right? That's crazy. But James arrived at the conclusion that his older brother was the son of God. I mean, so what James says, it comes with some credibility. It comes with some, well, at least hopefully some curiosity. What does he have to say? And James tells us this. Not many of you should become teachers. Well, thanks, James. That's gonna be a fun passage to teach. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. He goes on to tell us, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. 
James is saying, listen, the person who finds the ability to master their communication, to manage their words and to bite their tongue, well, if they can do that, they can do a lot of things. If they can control their mouth, there's a lot of other things in their life that they're gonna be able to develop some handles on. And right off the bat, what James is wanting us to understand is the tongue is powerful. I mean, this, this little uh, part of our body harnesses a ton of power. Have you ever thought about that? That this one small part dictates so much. I think our life and our world would be such a better place if we just improved in the area of communication. Like how many of our struggles would just evaporate in a moment if we just communicated better? Your tongue is powerful. James goes on to tell us this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. He also says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Draws our attention to, hey, your tongue, it's like a bit in the mouth of a horse. I mean, have you taken time to think about the size of a horse? When was the last time you've seen a horse? Recently, we were downtown, and they had the, the big Clydesdales pulling the chariots around downtown. They are massive. I mean, look at this guy. You versus him, you don't stand a chance, right? In many ways, a horse is so much more superior to you and I. But what is amazing, if we had figured out with a six-inch contraption how to control a horse, I'm surprised that the horse hasn't figured it out yet. I'm surprised if they're like, not a chance. You're not getting that thing in my mouth. The moment I had that thought while preparing for this message, I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart, and I'm surprised that humans haven't figured it out yet. That one thing controls so much. The tongue, it's powerful, but it's also directional. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's just by the tongue. I mean, it's like a, a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship, it determines the direction of your life. Have you ever found that your life moves in the direction of your words? Have you ever found that words shape so many things? This has me thinking about a recent experience I had where words have shaped my life. I have found myself discovering a lot of things about Northview as we've transitioned from Minnesota now to Indiana. A few weeks ago, I was preaching and had a buddy call me. He said, man, I love the sermon, but man, you're really white on camera. <laughs> Thing about Northview is the lights are brighter, the cameras are better, and the screens are bigger. I go home and I ask my wife, hey, Andrew said I look really white. To which she was like, yeah, babe, you're glowing. You are glowing up there. But my mom, uh, my wife, she's a problem solver. She said, well, there's a couple options. She said, babe, you should try tanning. <laughs> yeah, don't judge me. We're gonna go there. <laughs> this is a place for broken people, and we just keep our dirt on the surface so you don't have to dig. <laughs> so I went tanning, which if you've never been tanning, this is a unique experience. <laughs> it's probably one of your friends who works there. And 
I walk in and there's so much energy behind the counter. And there's so many options. It's overwhelming. Hey, I'm just here to burn myself. I, I don't know what else all this other stuff is. For I know it. They had me fill out this questionnaire. Had me ask, answer all these questions about my skin, things I've never thought about. Do you have a lot of freckles? What kind of lotion do you use? I'm like, I have no idea. I fill this thing out, and at the end of it, they put it through some algorithm or some equation that basically determines how long I can last in a bed. And they said, well, based on your score, you can do anywhere from two to five minutes. <laughs> two to five minutes. For $30, we'll give you 120 seconds. That's all you can handle. So I'm feeling like I'm gonna live on the edge. I went in for three minutes. I come out, lay behind the counter and go, so how was it? Which I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I don't know. Not really a fan of the experience. For starters, the glass was freezing cold. All I could think about was before I laid here in my birthday suit, someone else laid here in their birthday suit. And now... I smell like I've spent a week at a cabana in Jamaica and I have a meeting in 30 minutes. And what was even worse, folks, is I didn't tan. I just got pink. For 10 days, it looked like I just came off a light jog. And so I'm frustrated. I'm talking to Kristen and Kristen says, well, babe, there's another option. You can try spray tanning. Pastor Steve and I are alternating months, and so I had the month of December off. This was a perfect time for me to do some trial and error. I showed up to the first Christmas services looking like a goldfish. <laughs> Folks, this is such a unique, you're standing in there like this, you're turning. I mean, it's, it's air drying you, the whole deal. And then I come home and my wife says, babe, I got you something. She tosses me this, I catch it, I'm like, what is it? She said, well, just open it up. So I open this up, and my wife, I can't even get it open, got me a silk sheet that I can sleep in <laughs> so I don't ruin her sheets. <laughs> this really happened. Look at this. <laughs> Which raises the question, what are we doing here? <laughs> Clearly, I do not wear the pants of my relationship. <laughs> a silk sheet, all because I'm, I'm white. And I'm thinking, how do, we, how do we get here? All because one person said, man, you're really white. And here we are doing all of this. And it's meant to make you laugh, it's my experience. Meant to put a, joy, a smile on your face because life can be, well, it can be complicated. Church ought to be a place where we laugh. But I wonder if you've ever looked at your life and thought, what are we doing here? How did I get here? And if you were to pump the brakes and pivot, you might look back on life and realize, man, I've gone down this bizarre track and it all started with some really dysfunctional words that were spoken over my life. Maybe someone told you you were stupid, unqualified. Maybe someone told you you were ugly. 
Maybe someone told you you were unlovable or that you should be ashamed of yourself. Whatever it was, chances are there's been things that have been projected onto you that have shaped the course of your life. And my challenge and my prayer is that you would wake up to the lies that are dictating the life you're living. And you would just begin to be mindful over the words you speak and the words you receive. The other day I was playing Doc McStuffin with my daughter. Any Doc McStuffin fans? Presley told me to lay down, said open your mouth. Put the scope in my mouth and my three year old said, oof, it doesn't look good. (laughs) And then she made this statement. I don't think you're gonna make it. (laughs) Now clearly she said that with a lisp and some broken English, but that was the gist of it. It doesn't look good. I don't think you're gonna make it. And when I surveyed the conversations taking place in our culture, the way we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other, folks, it doesn't look good. And if we keep this up, it's not gonna play out well. I think as the people of God, we stand before a pretty remarkable opportunity where we get the opportunity to set the example to really raise the bar and to establish a new standard. Hey, this is how you communicate in a way that edifies others and makes the world a better place. Let's be the example in a world that only wants to be the extremist. Oh, that'll preach. (laughs) Don't be the extremist, be the example. So your tongue, it's, it's powerful, it's directional. James goes on to tell us this. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Goes on to tell us this, the tongue it also is a fire, a world of evil. The parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I mean, man, James's congregation must have only been seven people, especially if he was preaching to American Christians because American Christians can't tolerate this kind of preaching. I mean, that is right in your face. That just gets to the point, and James is, he's not pulling any punches, and I think it's, a, it's because he cares deeply about the people he's communicating with. Guys, if you're not careful, you could wreak havoc on your life and some of the most important relationships in your life if you don't learn to manage your words well. I was thinking all kinds of cute little titles for this sermon. Play on words, I thought we could call it dynamite in your dentures, the Lord of your lips, God in your gums, power in your palate. We could also call it victory in your voice. We could call it wisdom in your words, ministry in your mouth, that's my favorite one. Thanksgiving in your throat, judgment in your jaws, evil in your esophagus, Satan in your speech, and dirt in your discourse, right? Which you get it. I mean, there's a lot going on there. And my goodness, if you're not careful, you will arrive at a place where you think to yourself, what have I done? What have I participated in? You know what he's talking about is, he's saying it's like your, your tongue is like a wildfire, I grew up in Colorado on the western slope. On the western slope, the terrain is different, it's drier, and it's pretty common for us to have forest fires. One year, I'll never forget, there was a forest fire in Glenwood Canyon. 
And I remember one day getting ready for school, there was this news broadcast on, and they were kind of monitoring the fire, and they were talking about different provisions and things that they were doing to, to take care of the people living in Glenwood Springs. And I'll never forget this statement. The lady said, and now the fire has jumped the river. I'll never forget that statement. The fire has jumped the river. Did you know fires can jump rivers? I think what James is getting at is, hey, what's the sparks here creates a fire there. The tongue is powerful, it's directional, and in addition to that, the tongue is transcendent. If you're not careful, you'll project some things onto your marriage that will create a residue on your children. If you're not careful, you'll project some things in your company that will create a residue within our community. It creates a fire that is transcendent. And before you know it, it starts to touch areas of your life that you didn't intend for it to touch. I've been thinking about this article I read about a tribe within a nation out east. I'm not gonna say the name of the nation or the tribe because the goal here is not to isolate anybody. But there's this long-standing tradition, it's the largest tribe in the country, where every child takes on the middle name depending on the day they were born on. So, for example, every kid born on a Monday gets the same middle name. Every kid born on a Tuesday gets the same middle name. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you get it, same middle name. The name for Monday means something like godly or gentle. And that's a great name. The name for Wednesday means mean-spirited, aggressive, and violent. That's a terrible name. I read this study. Now, it was done in 2008. So it may not be fully current, but as of 2008, 52% of the crimes committed in that nation, people who were born on a Wednesday. I'm just telling you, words matter, and they shape your life, and before you know it, they start to flush out in other areas that you wouldn't expect. And what we can do, if we're not careful, is we can hear a story like that, and we can think, wow, that's ridiculous. Who would do that? And we could cast judgment and not assess ourselves. Think about some of the stuff we say. If you have a kid who turns two years old, how do we define the next year of their life? The terrible twos. This is what we say. Hey, you for the next year are gonna be known as terrible. And yes, a two-year-old has some tantrums. But the whole year, terrible? My goodness, I love when my kids were two years old. They were so fun at that age. And I just think, again, as people who anchor our heart to redemption, we ought to redeem some of the things we say. I'm not saying terrible twos anymore. Moving forward, it's the terrific twos. Right, moving forward, it is the tremendous threes and the fabulous fours and the fantastic fives. These are the super sixes and the silly eights, uh, the silly sevens and the excellent eights and the nice nines. I, I don't know, like, change the language. If you're not careful, you're projecting things onto people and onto yourself that is going to show up and it's gonna manifest itself in other areas of your life because the tongue, it's transcendent. And here's what I'm convinced of. If your tongue is not under control, your life will be out of control. If your tongue is not under control, your life will be out of control. Has been thinking about taking my kids to the arcade. 
I love taking my kids to the arcade. And not that I like the arcade, I just like being around my kids. You ever found that to be the case? You do things not because you enjoy it, but you just enjoy being around them. And the arcade is a fun experience for the first like 30 minutes. After that, for me, I'm pretty overstimulated. Too much lights, too much noise. And then there always comes that moment at the end where you have to go into the little store and cash in all your tickets. And nobody can make a decision. It's stressful. Takes about another hour. Recently, we were at an arcade, and it's almost like the same experience. My kids were fired up. Dad, look at all of our winnings. And what do you win at an arcade? Seven Tootsie Rolls, three tattoos, a Chinese finger trap. I'm thinking to myself, I spent $86 on that. And they think we're winning. I spent 86, I could buy them two year supply of Tootsie Rolls at Costco for $25. They think we're winning. Church, I wonder if heaven looks at the way we're approaching life, the way we just attack each other, the way we slander others, the way we approach conversations with the mentality of I'm just trying to get the upper hand, have the last word. So rather than building people up, we try to break people down. And we run away, just run around, just maliciously attacking people. I think heaven looks at us thinking, and they think they're winning. They think that's how they win, is just to be more abrasive, more demeaning, more disrespectful, and they think they're winning. This is one of the great tragedies in our society. Guys, I love, I absolutely love our nation. We are not a perfect nation by any means, and we have some room for improvement, but my goodness, I love and adore the United States of America, and I am so proud to be a citizen of this wonderful nation. And one of the things that makes our nation so beautiful is our freedom of speech. I mean, people laid down their life, paid the ultimate sacrifice so you and I could have this wonderful right. Yet tragically in our world, we find that a lot of people are abusing a wonderful right. Church, here's the deal. Just because you have the right to say it doesn't mean it's right to say it. My goodness, just because you have the right to say it doesn't mean it's right to say it. And I know sometimes when you preach something like that, the thought is, yeah, tell them. Because if we're not careful as the people of God, we start to assume the only problem is out there and never in here. We wouldn't have these problems if those on the outside weren't as whatever. You use your word to describe them. But here's the deal. Whether we are more responsible or less responsible, we're still responsible. And I think blame is a lazy person's way of making sense out of chaos. In fact, I would say it this way. To blame is to be lame. <laughs> I just think, you know, it's just being an individual who says, I'm gonna take responsibility for the life I'm living. I'm gonna take ownership for the words I'm speaking. And I'm gonna be mindful and I'm gonna tame my tongue. And I'm going to learn to think before I speak. I mean, we would benefit greatly if we learned to pump the brakes. I'm convinced that our reward 
often follows our refrain. I'm telling you, you will find that you will benefit greatly if you just pause for a second. Our reward, it follows our refrain. So let's turn this into an acronym. Think, the T, make it truthful. Church, there's a big difference between stating the truth and speaking truthfully. Let me give you an example. You could go up to someone and say, you're a sinner going to hell. And that could be true, but it's not truthful. You've left a lot of things out. A more truthful way of saying it is, hey, we've all sinned and we've all come up short and we've all missed the mark to glorify God. But the good news is God loves you so dearly that he sent his one and only son to step into our shoes to march to the cross to pay the ultimate price so you and I can sidestep eternal damnation and have our eternity secured to where we can have harmony, imperfection with our heavenly father by the grace of God. That's truthful. It's so much better. It is so much better. And my thing is, is when you speak the truth, be careful. You don't leave pieces out that could really benefit somebody. Don't leave out the good stuff. Don't leave out the valuable stuff. In addition to that, make it helpful. Does it add value? Does it add value? I find that I am in a lot of loaded conversations. That's just part of the gig when you're a pastor. Any interaction comes with a really loaded question. And I personally would rather be socially awkward than held socially accountable. I think this is just wise for every single one of us. I would rather walk away from an interaction and someone be like, man, that was an awkward interaction. Than to say something that I'm gonna regret and I'm gonna be on record for down the road. We all would be far better off to err on the side of being socially awkward than get down the road and be held socially accountable. Is what you're saying, is it helpful? In addition to that, is it inspiring? In other words, does it create positive momentum in their life? The N, is it necessary? Do you need to say it? We live in a culture that is just so adamant that everyone has to make a statement about everything. And we have to pause for a second and just ask ourselves, do I really need to say what I'm wanting to say? I found in my life, a meaningful silence is better than meaningless words. A meaningful silence is better than meaningless words. This is why I took the entire year of 2021 off of social media. I know some of you have probably Jumped on and found like, man, this guy's never on there. Well, for an entire year, I was like, at the end of 2020, I'm gonna take a whole year off of social media. It had become exhausting to me. My frustration was is we had succumbed to this way of thinking that moving forward, it doesn't even have to be accurate. It just has to be immediate. And so what happens is, is we get all up in our fields and we just start projecting things and speaking on matters and trying to reduce some of life's biggest complexities down to two to three sentences. Everyone has to make a statement, and it doesn't even have to be accurate, as long as it's immediate. And I just got to a point in my life where I'm like, that is garbage. It's a terrible way to approaching life. That we now live in a generation that has reduced communication to a social media platform. And this is how we're choosing to embrace relationships. 
I just decided in my life moving forward, I'm going to prioritize my immediate social network over my social media network. Moving forward, I'm not prioritizing some superficial acquaintances of people I don't even know. I'm gonna put the best of me towards the people in my life, the family, the people I work with, the people I get to pastor, and those in my community. I'm going to prioritize my immediate social network over my social media network. And church, again, we have an opportunity to set the example. So is it necessary? And lastly, is it kind? I grew up in a house where mama used to say, you don't have anything nice to say? Don't say anything at all. And again, I don't think we have to be abrasive to be persuasive. Is it kind? I think the challenge moving forward would be, hey, raise your words, not your voice. Because this is what we do. We get in conversations and Whenever we're frustrated, we just start yelling at each other. Or we succumb to really nasty tone. Ever had a conversation with that person? We just get really nasty in the way we communicate. And maybe what would happen in 2022 if instead of raising your voice, you just raised your words. I'm going to elevate the standard of my words and I'm going to communicate better. Because guys, there's so much weight in words. Words can be bad, but on the flip side, words can be good. A few ways of saying it is words cost, but the good news is they can also be an investment. So speak life into your marriage. Speak life over your children. Speak life about your company and into our community. Speak life about the schools your kids go to, and just begin speaking life because the tongue is powerful. It's directional and it's transcendent. So make an investment with your words. In addition to that, words hurt. But the good news is, they can also heal. And church, come on. Church ought to be the most honest place on the planet. We have all hurt some folks with our words. And I just wonder, what would happen if you developed the courage and the compassion to circle back with someone maybe you hurt with your words and now heal with your words. I mean, how hard would it be to say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. I need to be better. Words hurt, but they also heal. And lastly, words last, including the good ones. Words last, including the good ones. And this is why it's so important to become a student of God's word, because there's some good words in there. I'm convinced if you give the rest of this year to becoming the best student of God's word that you could possibly be, you will get to the end of this year and without a doubt, the benefits will be undeniable in your life. I mean, try to read the Bible in a year. Download an app that helps you get there and just begin to read God's word because in God's word, he says some pretty remarkable things about you. He says you're loved you're cherished and you're chosen. You're forgiven, set free, and redeemed. Scripture says you are a child of God and an heir to the kingdom. It says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are more than a conqueror, that you have been set apart for a divine purpose. I mean, Scripture speaks some pretty remarkable words. And here's what I've discovered. Allowing God to speak to you changes the way 
My goodness, church. It changes the way you speak to others. Allowing God to speak to you, it changes the way you speak to others. And so maybe the challenge or the goal this year isn't so much to speak from the heart, but maybe it's asking God, would you speak to my heart? And Lord, would you make this tree good also that the fruit that I bear is also good? I mean, anyone just motivated to live life better, to communicate better? You know, every single week when we gather, individuals gather with us who are not a Christian. The greatest joy in my life as a pastor is getting to introduce someone to Jesus for the first time. Some of you, you're here today and you're gonna step across that line of faith. You're gonna place your faith in Jesus Christ and it will forever be the greatest decision of your life. The Apostle Paul told us this in the book of Romans. Check this out. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Do you see it again? The mouth and the heart, they're in tandem. I mean, this is so consistent all throughout Scripture. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And I just get the feeling some of you have arrived at a place of belief today, and we wanna close in prayer where you can profess your faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Savior, amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, all weekend we've had individuals giving their life to Christ. And chances are you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, to make the best decision of your life and to receive his life-altering grace, to have peace within your heart, a purpose for living, and a home in heaven. And if that's you, on the count of three, I just ask that you slip your hand up with no one looking around. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip your hand up. Outstanding, I see all your hands. Amazing, anyone else? Wow. Sir, I see you there in the back, thank you. I mean, my goodness, there's probably like 20 some hands. Anyone else in the balcony? If you raised your hand, pray this silently with me. You can repeat after me. But say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for my sins. Today, I give you my life. I ask for your forgiveness, and I receive your grace. And I'm choosing you as the Lord of my life. And today, I surrender it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, can we just celebrate hands going up everywhere? Outstanding. All right, church, at this time, we're gonna transition into miracle prayer. If you need prayer for anything, volunteers, staff members will be making their way forward. I'm gonna ask that you stand to your feet, and we're gonna start something new. I like going out with a shout. And uh, the word amen means let it be. Let the truth found in God's word be the truth found in my life. So on the count of three, we're gonna shout, let it be. Let it be on the count of three. You ready? One, two, three, let it be. Have a great week, church.